In Jesus' life and ministry, he did many things, some ordinary and some miraculous. In fact, John, one of Jesus' disciples, describes the miraculous as signs. In scripture, signs always have a purpose. They point. Jesus' miracles always pointed. They pointed to who he is and why he came to earth. This Lenten season, join Vintage Church as we study these signs to discover what they reveal to us about Jesus' identity. Welcome to Vintage. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. If you're watching online, welcome as well. If you need a Bible, lift up your hand. Our Connect team has copies of God's Word in both English and Spanish, and we'd love to get that for you. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn to the Gospel of John, one of the first few books in the New Testament. In particular, we're going to be in chapter 5. As Pastor Brick shared, we've been in this series looking at the signs of Jesus. And what we've been saying every week is that this is the point of a sign. A sign points beyond itself to something more important than itself. A sign points beyond itself to something more important than itself. We've been looking at these signs. The first week was Jesus turning the water into wine. And then last week we continued, and this week in John chapter 5, we're going to be looking at this story of an invalid, a person who uh, can't walk, can't take care of himself, and he's at this pool, it's called the Pool of Bethesda. And he's thinking if he can just get into the pool, then he can be healed. And as we think about that today, I want you to think about sickness. No, nobody likes to be sick, am I right? Uh, you don't even like to feel symptoms. You know, like there's like the symptoms of sickness, and then there's like the illness itself. And I think sometimes we're so uh, frustrated about being sick that it's like, if I can just take care of all of the symptoms, then who cares about the sickness? But you know that if you have a cough or if you have a fever, that there's probably something more significant happening in your body. And there's a danger in just taking care of the symptom, getting rid of the fever, or getting rid of the cough, and not dealing with the illness that's much deeper in your body. And that's really what we're going to be looking at today when we look at this story. Jesus is going to be teaching us about how it's about more than just handling the symptoms of our sickness, but getting to the root of our issues. The sign always points beyond itself to something far more important than itself. Let's take a look at John chapter 5. We're going to read this morning verses 1 through 15 and see what Jesus does in this story. It says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Everybody say Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 
When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be what? Healed. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, what? Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are what? You're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is the big idea for today. Jesus' physical healing points to his holistic healing. Jesus' physical healing points to his holistic healing. In the physical healing of this invalid, Jesus is trying to teach something far more significant than just the physical healing. So what is he trying to teach? Number one, he's teaching this. We aren't made for sickness. Amen? We aren't made for sickness. Again, go back and look at verses 6 through 9. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be what? Everybody say it. Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, What? Get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. I'm amazed by these signs that Jesus almost, it appears, does nothing. He just tells the guy, Get up. And this guy who's not been able to get up for 38 years does what? He gets up. And I think part of what Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage, that if we aren't made for sickness, then what Jesus wants us to know is that we are made, we were made for wholeness. Everybody say wholeness. We were made for wholeness. Jesus asks that question, do you want to be healed? Now, in that word, I think, is a far more significant idea of being made well or being made whole. And I know when we tend to think about sickness, we say we want to be well or we want to be made whole. But Jesus, I think, is getting at something far more significant than just the physical sickness of this man. He's getting behind this idea of not just wellness, but wholeness, and we're going to talk about that and look at that just a little bit more. So Jesus wants to heal him. He wants to make him well or make him whole. The invalid is looking for a physical solution. This man who needs healing is thinking, listen, if I can just get into this pool, then I will be healed. But he can't walk, and every time he drags himself to the pool, someone who can walk gets in front of him. 
And there's this assumption being made that there's something supernatural about this pool at Bethesda. And what Jesus wants this man to understand is, listen, healing is more than physical. Wholeness is more than physical. Your issue requires something more than just a physical remedy to a physical and spiritual problem. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see that we need to understand and we need to trust and we need to believe is that Jesus wants to heal us. In fact, Jesus does heal people. All around the globe, Jesus is healing people, whether by natural means or supernatural means. Jesus heals. But in the Gospels, anytime Jesus heals, it's pointing to something beyond the physical healing. Jesus is trying to demonstrate something about who he is and what his kingdom is going to look like. And so Jesus wants to make the man whole. He wants to heal us and make us whole. So what is Jesus' answer to this wholeness? What does he tell the guy? Do you remember? What does he say? Get up. Get up. That word, another way to say that word is to rise. In ancient non-biblical Greek, that word was used to awaken from sleep. I don't know if you have anybody in your household that is difficult to arouse from their deep sleep. I have uh, one person in particular, I won't name her name, but uh, she has a hard time getting up. And sometimes I have to like, hey, it's, you know, you got to get up. You got to get up. That word get up or rise, it means to awaken from sleep. But it came to mean more than that in the New Testament. In fact, in John 11 and 12, we're going to read those passages in a few weeks. That word is used in John to describe when Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the grave. He tells Lazarus to rise to what? Get up. In fact, in the rest of the New Testament, that word to get up is used to describe the resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus in particular. See, the wholeness, the healing that Jesus is trying to give this man resides in Jesus because Jesus is the source of life that he demonstrates in his resurrection. Jesus got up. Amen? Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. This is Paul's understanding of the gospel. Really, I think the most basic, simple definition of what the good news of Jesus is. It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That number one, Christ died for our sins in according with the scriptures. Number two, that he was buried. And number three, that he was what? Same word. That he got up on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. They haven't gotten up yet, right? Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. John is being very specific when he says, Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? And Jesus says what? Get up. 
Because John understands what Jesus understood is that the only way to wholeness is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no ability for us to be made whole if Jesus himself is not made whole in the resurrection. Which means the resurrection of Jesus can't just be a good story with a good moral. The resurrection of Jesus must be true. It must have happened in time, in a particular place, with particular people around Jesus. And I'm telling you that I think there's strong evidence, for those of you who question all of this, strong evidence to believe in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Think about some of these things. Number one, these earliest Christians were Jews. And if you know anything about Judaism, you know that their Sabbath, their day of rest, their day of worship is Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. But in the New Testament, we see the day of worship moved from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown to Sunday, and it's called what? The Lord's Day. Why? Who rose on Sunday? Jesus, the Lord. Number two, there's a new understanding of resurrection. In Judaism, they believed in a resurrection, a resurrection at the end of time when all people will be raised, but no one was teaching and no one expected for the Messiah, Jesus, to come and die and be resurrected, which means if they're making up this story, it wouldn't have made sense unless it actually happened. So their idea of resurrection changed. There was a transformation of the disciples. You ever read the Gospels? And you ever read how the disciples are? I mean, there's a point in the Gospels where Jesus looks at Peter and says what? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and yet, in the book of Acts, we read about these men who have been completely transformed. Because now their understanding of who Jesus is has radically changed because they've seen a Jesus who was crucified, who is now risen from the grave. Number four, there were eyewitnesses. I mean, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, you see what Paul says. That, G that Jesus appeared to Peter, then he appeared to the 12, then he appeared to 500 people. Most scholars believe that 1 Corinthians was written somewhere in probably like the mid-60s, about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, which means for 30-plus years, there were men and women who were still alive that had seen the resurrected, of, resurrected Jesus. Paul is saying, if you don't believe me, go find these people, and they will tell you what they've seen. And in fact, one of the most significant parts of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection is the fact that the first eyewitnesses were women. If you read the Gospels, the first people to see the resurrected Jesus were women. And that's significant because in the ancient world, an eyewitness, someone who could give testimony of what they've seen, would not be a woman but a man. So what that means is if the Gospel writers are saying women were the first ones to see Jesus, then who were the first ones to see Jesus? Women. If they were fabricating the story, they wouldn't have had women as the first eyewitnesses. And lastly, and probably most significantly, there's an empty tomb. There were guards, Roman guards, guarding this tomb. 
and yet it's empty. You can go to Jerusalem today, and you can go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and there is a tomb where there is no body. It's empty. See, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It's the resurrection of Jesus that allows us to be healed, to be made well, to be made whole. Jesus' get-up guarantees our get-up. Look at, again, 1 Corinthians 15. If you take Paul's argument just a little bit further and you read about what he says, he says, okay, if that's true, if this is what happened to Jesus, then what does it mean for you and I? Verse 51, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be what? Same word. The dead will get up. The dead will be raised imperishable, meaning we're not going to be able to die, and we shall be changed. For this perishable, this body that will die, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But what? Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is saying, listen, because of the resurrection of Jesus, if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no resurrection of us. There would be no healing. There would be no wellness. There would be no wholeness. But because Jesus got up, because he was raised from the dead, because there's a resurrection, we can be made whole, we can be made well, we can be healed. The way Paul describes this is that there had to be somebody who went before us. Anytime my kids are afraid of something or scared of something, right, it gives them confidence when dad or mom goes ahead of them. It's like, listen, there's nothing, sometimes we're walking into our house, and you know, we live in southeast Louisiana, so there are bugs, lizards, frogs, geckos everywhere, and they're swarming all around my front door, and my daughter, for whatever reason, is scared to death of all of these things. So I have to get to the door first, unlock the door, open the door to let her in first. And what Paul is saying is that's what Jesus did in the resurrection, Jesus had to experience death and resurrection first so that when we die, we too can experience resurrection, healing, wholeness. So the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus had to come to earth. He had to die. He had to pay the penalty of sin. He had to appease the wrath of God. But dying, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave giving us life. If our sin was paid for, but life was not given, what would be the death of Jesus? Paul, in fact, in other places in 1 Corinthians says, we are, the, we are the ones to have the least amount of hope. We're the ones to be pitied the most if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. Your faith 
should be founded on the resurrection of Jesus. You have questions about faith. You have questions about life. You have questions about why would God do this or why would God do that? What about the problem of evil? Why could a good, loving, gracious God allow such terrible things to happen? And listen, those are hard, complicated questions. But as long as I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have to trust God. Because if the resurrection of Jesus is true, then it changes everything. The resurrection guarantees that illness, suffering, and death, they do not have the last word. So whatever physical or mental or emotional pain and suffering you are going through on this side of eternity, those things do not have the last word. The reality that you and I, that all of us in this room will face death at some point in our lives, that death does not have the last word. The resurrection of Jesus always and forever has the last Wholeness is God's design for creation. Jesus heals this man, and it's a sign that we weren't made for sickness. But the sign, like we've been talking about, always points beyond itself to something more. And I think the second thing that Jesus teaches us, if we aren't made for sickness, then number two, we aren't made for sin. Look at what he says a little bit further down in this passage in verse 14. The man has been healed. They're questioning. The religious leaders are questioning Jesus about who healed you, who told you to pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath day. And then Jesus finds him in the temple, and he says this to him. See, you are what? Well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. We were made for wholeness. We were made for wholeness and connected to that idea of wholeness is not sinning. Jesus tells this man, sin no more. Now there's an interesting and challenging connection in this passage because in this point, Jesus is connecting what? The man's sickness to his sin. And he's saying something is connected, something is related. The sickness that you have been struggling with for the last 38 years has something to do with the sin that you have wrestled with. That's a reality and a truth that none of us like to think about. But there is something to it. Jesus is making that connection. But here's the thing. Sin and suffering are also not always connected like Jesus is connecting them. In fact, in just a few chapters later in the Gospel of John, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, listen to what happens. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Sickness, right? Sickness, blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the disciples understand that sin and sickness are connected. But what does Jesus say? He answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
So there's a tension in this book that we have to wrestle with, that sin and sickness are tied together, but sometimes sin and sickness aren't directly related. Now, if we're thinking about wholeness, we're thinking about who God's created us to be, we have to understand that there is always, whether it's direct or indirect, a relationship between sin and sickness. Always. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as what? Okay, just as what? Sin came into the world through one man and what? Death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Part of what we have to understand is that the reason we need wholeness is because there is sin in our world. The reason that we are unwell, both physically and spiritually, is because there is sin in our world, and our world is broken. We are broken. Our relationships are broken. Our relationship with creation is broken. Our relationship with God is broken. And so sometimes what Jesus is teaching us, sometimes our sin and our suffering are connected. When we are in habitual sin, that sin is leading to suffering in our lives. Sometimes our sin is indirectly connected to our suffering. We suffer in this life because there is sin in this world. Which is why sin must be taken care of. Which is why Jesus came to earth to die for the sin of humanity. That all sin could be removed and that that sin which separates us from God and ourselves and one another and all of creation could be removed and we could be made what? Whole. Complete wholeness. Full wholeness. The way that God intended. Sin leads to death because sin leads away from life. See, I think sometimes we think, okay, God is just making these rules and they're just arbitrary. I mean, you ever, like, as a kid growing up and your parents, you would do something and your parents would say, don't do that. And you would say, why? And they would say, because I said so. And it's like, that is the lamest excuse on planet Earth why I can't do what you don't want me to do. It's like you're making up the rules as you go. <laughs> you know, being a parent now, yes, parents make up the rules as they go, right? We can't put that kind of logic on God. God has not, is not, and will not make up the rules as he go. His rules and his law are not arbitrary. They're for our good. What God asks of us, what God tells us to do, he tells us to do because those things lead to what? Life, wholeness. We choose sin because we think we know better. We are confused by what sin does to us. I mean, just think about this. Just think about overeating. Let's, let's use the sins that are like uh, socially acceptable. But think about overeating. Does it not lead to fantastic things? In the moment. In the moment you're at that restaurant, right? And you're eating and you're like, all of this is so good. And you just want to eat more of it because you enjoy all of the flavors. But you know at the end of that meal, how will you feel? 
I mean, I know how I feel. Like death, right? And there's the thing that if you keep overeating for the rest of your life, what will it ultimately lead to? Death. Uh, Also known as diabetes, high cholesterol, right? All of these sorts of things. In the moment, what you're eating and the amount that you're eating is incredible. But it's not leading to life. It's leading to death. And sin works the same exact way. We think that it's leading to life because in the moment, it's bringing us some form of happiness. Some form of what we think might be wholeness. But it's actually killing us. It's like smoking. Right? Over time. Right? You enjoy smoking. Over time, smoking's going to kill you. It's like drinking. Over time, if you drink too much, drinking will kill you. Sin leads to death because sin leads away from life. But listen, this is what Jesus teaches us. Jesus leads to life because Jesus is life. Just a few chapters in, the Gospel of John, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth And the what? Life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is life. The wholeness that we're looking for, it's found in him. Because the wholeness that we're looking for is ultimately life. It's that abundant life. It's that life, that deep and lasting life that we want. And it's not found in anything else, whether those are good things or bad things, healthy things or unhealthy things. Life, abundant life, deep and lasting life is found in who alone? Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way to what? Life. I am the truth. The truth in me is what will lead you to life. And I am the life. The source of life is found in Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus leads us to the Father. And he created us for wholeness. God created us for life. And he says, listen, I'm telling you where life can be found. You don't have to go searching. It's found in me. Come to me and find life. Going back to everything that we just said about the resurrection of Jesus, the reason we can have life both now in the present and in the future, and the kind of physical life that we were created for, but also the kind of spiritual life we were created for is because Jesus died and rose from the grave. He made us right with God, and he says, I am the life, and I'm going to show you how I'm the life. I'm going to bring myself back from death. That's the kind of life that I give to you. I love how C.S. Lewis describes this life In mere Christianity, he says, your real new self, which is Christ's and also yours, and it's yours just because it's his, it will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you're looking for him. Think about all of the things that you're looking for. And I don't know about you, I consider myself a frugal person. Some people call that cheap. I don't. Frugal. And sometimes in my frugality, I will buy something that I think is a good imitation 
but it's cheap. And that cheap item does not last. It doesn't do what the real thing will do. You know, the other night I was watching TV and an Applebee's commercial came on the television. Anybody been to Applebee's lately? It's been a while. (laughs) And they have these sizzling steaks on their commercial. And the steak is like, I think, 15 bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, 15 bucks, that's a pretty good deal for a steak. There's a reason it's a good deal. You're not paying $15 at Ruth Chris, right? Why pick the Applebee's steak when I can have the Ruth Chris steak? The imitations will not satisfy. The life that Jesus provides is not only eternal, it is so much better. Don't go looking anywhere else. Don't be thinking, maybe this, maybe this will do it for me. Maybe I'll figure it out here. Maybe there's a, a better way, a cheaper way, an easier way to find that life. There is no better life. There's a reason Jesus told us to take up our cross and follow him, to die to self so that we can have life, because life is not found in us. It's found in who? Him. Jesus. Wholeness is God's design for creation. Jesus' physical healing points to his holistic healing. I want to take you again to a passage that I've shared with you the past couple of weeks, John 20. You get to the end of John, and John gives us the reason he wrote the book. And he says in verses 30 through 31, Now Jesus did many other what? signs. He did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may what? Believe. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life. And that by believing you may have life in his name. We aren't made for sickness We aren't made for sin. We were made for wholeness. Trust in the wholeness that only Jesus provides. Trust that when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, that he truly is the way and the truth. Father, we love you, and we thank you, God, that you are the source of life. God, that you are the source of life for our physical bodies, and you are the source of life for our spiritual bodies, that the healing that you want to provide, Father, is holistic. Help us to understand and see and believe and trust that the life you are providing only comes through your son, Jesus. Help us trust him now and help us trust him forever.
We love you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.